And so fantasy, dreaming up of things I, I imagined I wanted to be, whether it was a humanitarian aid worker for the UN or, you know, a backing dancer for Tori Amos. I can't believe I just, that just came out of my mouth. I didn't even know that I wanted to be a Tori Amos backing dancer until this very moment in time. What have I been doing all my life? Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So... You're very welcome. Friends, Romans, countrymen, I do hope you're very well. I have been travelling an awful lot, so I've just slept for the last two days. But, and this next month gets lovely and busy. I'm speaking at a conference in Bakersfield on the 2nd of November. A women's conference, I believe. So all all of you men who are obviously dying to listen to me, (laughs) you can't come. Sorry about that. Um, I also have uh, Hawaii I'm speaking at um, one night there. I know suffering for the Lord, darling. And then um, up to Oregon we go and then across to Mendocino and then to Mexico in mid-December. So it's a beautifully busy month, but I'm so grateful for the invites. Wherever there is an invite, I will go. And... uh, just lots of transitions and changes are happening at the moment. Um, I'm still a pastor at Bethel in the sense of I still work for the Bethel Leaders Network. And that looks like me pastoring pastors. Some people have been asking what I'm still up to. Am I still at Bethel Church? I, yes, I am. Um, happily, beautifully so. And uh, have been so grateful to them for giving me a position which helps me travel and speak uh, to other people and places I'm getting to meet some really fabulous people so I'm very very grateful and um, there will be other transitionings happening in the nearby future Uh, the edits are coming through for the new book um, which is very exciting Um, and so far the feedback from the editors I think is good (laughs) I haven't seen the real detailed edits so that that's another thing but um, I have to say the publishing company at HarperCollins have been extraordinarily brilliant and uh just the most breathtaking experience in publishing if all of you are like no do self-publishing i swear to you and there's some people have had some nasty experiences with publishers before but there are some really brilliant ones out there so don't give up because they still have i think the greatest experience and wisdom for publishing today what on earth am i talking about well i'm talking about fear today I'm talking about the fearless, the ones that I've always been the most fascinated with, the ones that I've just longed to hang out with the most. If I look at all of my closest friends in the world, they are probably some of the most fearless I know as well. Um, And you can see that by the depths of which they're willing to go in regards to pain and beauty. Beauty can be terrifying, just for the record. And... They can also have hysterical, goofball laughter with no sense of dignity or pride. And some might say that's a terrible thing. I think it's a great thing because we've sort of let go of the the fear of man, so to speak. I have a fair few friends as well who are involved in social justice and um, 
and watching what they do on a day-to-day basis. They're my heroes. They're the ones that are often putting their lives on the line every single day and makes my job look like, I don't know, the Easter Bunny every day. That's what it looks like for me. So I actually want to talk about the fear list today because it's actually the thing that made me leave the church. And I don't mean to say that everyone in the church is fearful, but I do mean to say there are a lot of people that were hiding behind religion, a lot of people that were hiding behind the legalism of religion, the restriction of religion itself, the control that religion can have on other people. You only need to see it when people are uh, arguing over a theological point to see how fearful people really are. And I found myself migrating more towards uh, a lot of my unbelieving friends who were just a little bit more courageous. They were taking a lot more risks, not always the wisest ones, but they were still taking risks. And there was a sense of boldness, a sense of bravery in them, uh, a sense of honesty with themselves that I found a lot of Christians were often hiding behind those questions. They were too scared to ask the questions in case it would go against their faith. But equally, they were also just terrified of going beyond a limit or a boundary that had been set before them. And I honestly believe that those with true, true faith have unreasonable courage, the kind of courage that you would see in a Winston Churchill who would stand on top of the Treasury office, watching an air raid over London literally take place in front of his eyes whilst the planes are dropping bombs on London. Now, this is, this is the man who is obviously the most wanted in the country at this point during the World War. And yet there he is smoking a cigar, seeing where the bombs are landing over London so he can work out the strategies of what the Nazi rule were doing. And for me, some would go, well, that's ridiculous. That's not fearless. That's stupid. But... There was a wonderful story, and I'll start the podcast off with this. It was a wonderful story where Winston Churchill would be told to make sure he went down into the war room. Some of you may have heard this story before, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself for you. But Clemmie, his wife, was asked to uh, make sure that her husband, Winston, would stay down in the war rooms the night of this very big air raid that was uh, predicted to come over and across London. And she said to Thomas, their, his bodyguard at the time, Thomas, please make sure that Winston is in his pyjamas and his dressing gown robe and in his bed by midnight tonight because otherwise he'll stand up on the rooftops and watch the bombs and I don't trust this particular night. Please make sure that he gets in bed with his pyjamas on and that you see to it that he stays there. <laughs> so Thomas made sure that Winston Churchill had actually dressed for bed and gone inside of bed. And lo and behold... Just after midnight, about 15 minutes after he ensured Winston was in his PJs, uh, Winston is back and dressed, ready to go upstairs and up 20 feet above ground. And Winston said, well, I, I did what my wife said. I got into bed and I put my pyjamas on and now, I'm, and now I have to go. I have things to do. There is work to be done. Come on. And took Thomas to across... Um, I, I, if you're if you're American, forgive me if you haven't been around these areas, but he took him across to uh, across the Treasury and around to the Cabinet Office, passing St James's Palace, and a hundred yards from him fell one bomb. 
didn't injure him, didn't hurt him. And in this very same moment, Winston Churchill turns around to Thomas, he says, you see, someone else is looking out for me other than you. And there is this thing, oh, I can feel it. There is this thing that surges up in the state of a mind and a soul that believes in the very protection of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is willing to actually put their life on the line every single day for the sake of something that the Lord is grieving over, not just what we grieve over, but what the Lord is grieving over. It makes you so much more courageous, so much more powerful. And I'm starting to see in every moment of my own fear, where my own pride gets in the way. It's often pride that creates this fear and it's love that casts out, right? It's love that casts out. So there is something that goes on with our own journey as Christians that I was often finding a lot of people were hiding behind religious protocol. Both they were Jews often that the Lord told them that they didn't have any peace on something, that they um, didn't feel like it was the right time. There are lots of reasons that, honestly, there can be such a fine line between wise caution and utter fear. How, do you, how can you tell the difference? I'll come to that later. I promise you I'll come to that later. But for me, I actually left the church for a bit because I actually found that people weren't able to deal with other people's pain. And I was in a lot of pain during my 20s. I was, I just lost my father. I was really grappling with a lot of questions about the protection of, and the goodness of God. Um, whenever I would talk to someone in the church, I wasn't getting much information back. It was more, they would pray and listen, but they weren't really helping me counsel. And this isn't a blame on anyone else. I did not leave the church because of other people's actions. That's for me, is a terrible reason to leave your faith. I left my faith because of the questions that I was having and I wasn't getting an answer to them. I also questioned whether I had a secondhand faith, to be honest with you, because I'd been brought up by parents that had it. But I always had this such, and the Lord had gifted me with this amazing sense of need for truth. Sometimes it goes overboard, but this need for integrity and truth. And if I wasn't getting it, my gosh, I was like a dog with a bone. Sometimes still can be. <clears throat> but I'm all right with that because I'm a very truthful person when it comes to my own journey and my own walk with my relationships with people. And so I always care about truth because that's, it's the truth that sets you free and I care about freedom more than anything. And so in my journey of these questions and I wasn't getting them answered, I also found myself making some really questionable choices. You know, I was in a relationship with my boyfriend and I was in a sexual relationship with him. I was living with him, but I was still going to church. And some people would challenge me. And yet perhaps I wasn't given the right questions. Well, why aren't you marrying him? Wasn't the right question. The question should be, why don't you trust him? What's going on here that makes you feel like you don't feel like you're in the right space to marry the guy? Or what's the reason for having all the commitment, but you're scared of the commitment on some level with this guy. So what's going on? It seemed that it was almost out of sight, out of mind. We didn't talk about it. We just brushed it under the carpet. It's a very English culture thing to do. Um, and of course, I drove people nuts with my opposing fight against um, sweeping things under the carpet. <laughs> um, for me, I, I found that actually denial was as toxic as sin itself, because it often needs to sin. 
um, if not the sin of ourselves, sin towards other people. And I found in moments where I'm inspired by stories in the Gospels, inspired by our Lord himself, he often prayed before the most terrifying things. I mean, he was always praying. He was always in the constant conversation with his father. But there is, there are these prepared moments before going into a battle, before going into uh, the most vulnerable periods of his time on earth. And for me, that, ch- that poses a, a topic of, are we wise enough and alert enough to know when we are at our most fearful? Are we aware of our trigger? We always talk about getting triggered. But if you're really wise, you'll know what triggers you. If you know yourself, if you've taken time to learn who you are, to learn how the Lord has wired you, you will figure out what are the things that trigger me? What are the things that I'm too cautious on that I need to actually push forward and actually guide myself towards the light? Um, And I'm not talking right now about tying ourselves to an elastic rope and throwing ourselves off the precipice of a bridge to our possible potential death. That's, I'm not talking about bungee jumping here. I'm talking about the real stuff, the heart stuff, the things that many, many people will gloss over, will have far too many friends just so we don't have to go too deep or intimate with people. We'll, we'll, go for the easier option rather than the harder option. The harder option normally in my mind is always the more noble option. Um, We'll blame, we'll we'll push the the problem onto somebody else because we don't want to take ownership. There are so those things are a great facet to show where fear is coming up. And I'm fascinated by this whole concept at the moment of like, gosh, I was, I was literally more influenced by the most fearless. And sadly, the people in the church were not the most fearless in my life at that time. So I was getting very fascinated by, you know, I was working in advertising. So, you know, no one in advertising was scared of public speaking like I was. (laughs) No one was scared of going into a relationship. No one was frightened of trying things out and getting it wrong. In fact, you were paid to try things out and get it wrong. That was the whole point. Nine out of 10 times your ideas wouldn't work, but the 10th would probably bring in a million pounds. So I was surrounded in my environment by crazy, I'm going to wear a shoe on my head for a TED talk because no one else has worn a shoe on their head for a TED talk and I remember we were doing a brief one time for Christmas we were training a bunch of art students in London uh the the concept of selling Christmas and everyone had an hour to come out with a layout piece of paper and a pitch to what it would look like for Christmas to sell Christmas my boss and I were going along this row of different pictures and of course most of them had Santa in them and some quirky little line but there was this one piece of paper and nothing was drawn on it other than two words and you've got to remember this is England so summer equals this reason alone on the piece of paper it said no wasps and my boss went whose is this who's who did this one and this little guy on his own that wasn't with a partner put his hand up and he said, you've won. And everyone was like, what? (laughs) 
The guy just wrote two words or he didn't even put, put a picture on there. What are you talking about? To which he said, yeah, but he thought outside the box. And if you think outside the box, then you're probably the most fearless in the room. I often talk about how I long for Christians who have original thought or original thought stems from having fearless conversations, ones that are not scared of asking the hard stuff. It's so interesting to me that when I see people have problems, they'll seek guidance or counsel from other people in the church and those other people in the church will probably only give them a quote that they've heard from somebody else. Revelation comes to those who are the most fearless. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a Christian for that kind of revelation. It is often the most fearless. I'm just putting it out there. I once went to a... (laughs) I can't believe I'm about to share the story. I once went to a Tony Robbins conference in London... And uh, <laughs> and there's a thing that they do, if anyone's gone to a Tony Robbins conference, you know exactly what I mean. There's a thing that they do that they make you get to the like your deepest fears, your scariest, most frightening, worst case scenarios, right? And they close all the doors, shut all the lights off, and then everyone's just crying their eyes out. And then somehow he gets you, and I'm, obviously I'm actually suggesting no one try this at home. This is a really, please don't try this at home. This is one of those things that I'm begging you not to try at home. But we all have to walk out of the venue. And at the very back of the venue, this is huge parking lot. And this is like 2,000 people. Or, you know, some of the conferences are smaller than that. But in my case, there were 18 lines of hot coals. There was a burning fire where people were shoveling coals, putting it into wheelbarrows, and then laying it out for about 18 feet along, a wide path and 18 feet long. And everyone had to get themselves into a mindset of saying the words, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss. So in your mind, all your bare feet are thinking of is that you're not walking on fire as we actually were, but we're walking on cool moss. Now, Everyone was in the venue doing this mantra to themselves, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss, all the time, right? And they're not even looking at the hot coals that are put in front of them. This was all part of, like, facing your greatest fear. (laughs) Everyone's taking their shoes off. Everyone's about to walk these 18 feet of hot, burning coals. And I'm not paying attention to the rules. So all I'm doing is there is no way this is safe. And I'm saying this down to other people on the line. There's no way this is safe. The fact that there is an ambulance and paramedics at the end of these paths isn't a good sign for me. It doesn't feel safe, you know? And my natural tendency at this point was to go, okay, I'm not doing this because, you know, if we have to have an ambulance here, I don't think that's a good sign. That means that someone at some stage was actually burned. So therefore, I don't want to try it out. But then, slowly but surely, I was hearing people cheer at the other end. And there was someone, or two people, I think, at the other end of the path that have a hose and they, like, wash down your feet so then there are no sticking colds as you're coming out of the mindset of you just walked on 18 feet of cool moss. (laughs) Anyway, I'm like, but I also don't like to 
um, at this point, I'm 24, 25. So I'm in this very much a, a space of, I don't know about the goodness of the Lord. I've got to try and find the power in myself and all of these kind of things. <laughs> so I, I literally walk the hot coals and I'm absolutely absolutely fine nothing nothing is uh was more exhilarating than surviving and not having third degree burns honestly I mean it was just really a time for celebration um but you know my feet were a little bit red not gonna lie not going to lie this is why I don't suggest you do it at home I really don't um but I did check the authenticity of the fire itself. It was a real fire. It wasn't pretend burning coals. It was all legit. And they really did feel quite warm. But what was interesting was the power of the mind is very, very real. And whichever voice we choose to listen to is exactly why the, the, the choice of path that we will go down. And so here's the deal. Unbelievers can be very, very fearless <laughs> so if we've been given a faith that not only I mean there are times where people go oh well you know you just got a faith because it's a crutch and I'm like that mm, I can totally see why people say that because a lot of the time you'll see Christians sort of come into church and they're just a little bit scared of everything you know frightened that you know they, their skirt is creased a little bit too much or you know the vicar at the front doesn't really have any arms when he's speaking do you know what I mean it's just that kind of thing of okay um I'm not really feeling inspired never mind transformed and I think if you're walking alongside bold and courageous people you can't help but watch it rub off on you I mean it and you will know if you've got fear in your life for these reasons, I'm going to give them a small little list, if I may. You don't have accountability, people who can challenge you and task you to be a better person. You hide behind ideologies or circumstances that you, so that you don't take ownership. You don't take ownership, instead you blame people for the reasons why you are the way you are. You keep changing your mind on your purpose, on people, on pleasures. You run from honesty or dim down the option to be honest. You run from amazing opportunities and self-sabotage because you're not fearless enough to handle the pressure. You avoid pain, both your own and those around you. Your ability to care for others, therefore, is limited. You therefore are addicted to comforting habits. I don't mean just substances. I mean you could just be keeping busy or hiding behind, dare I even say it, fun. When I was younger, before the world taught you what to be frightened of, I was a fairly confident little cookie. And as an only kid, I, could, I, could, um, I couldn't hide behind siblings, but I often hid behind my imagination. And so fantasy, dreaming up of things I, I imagined I wanted to be, whether it was a humanitarian aid worker for the UN or, you know, a backing dancer for Tori Amos. I can't believe I just, that just came out of my mouth. I didn't even know that I wanted to be a Tori Amos backing dancer until this very moment in time. What have I been doing all my life? Does she even have dancers? I don't even know if she has. Does Tori Amos have dancers? I don't think she does. I should write her a letter. <laughs> a very heartfelt letter. Is she even... She's touring still, isn't she? She's just fabulous. But that would be, in my mind, the most terrifying thing to do, to audition to be Tori Amos's backing dancer. However, if I was to be told 
the sense of aliveness, the sense of life itself, once I just tried it, as opposed to succumb to my crippling fear. Even if I danced like Daffy Duck, at least I tried. And there was a, back in the day, I don't know whether anyone remembers this book. Back in the day, we had this book by Susan Jeffers, and it was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And I remember for about a year, when that book came out, everyone was just, yeah, let's try everything. <laughs> and in some aspects, it you know, I think this is my point. Anyone can be fearless to some level if they just, you know, sort of put their pride and dignity down and just go for it. There is a call for discernment in all of these things. There is a call for wisdom in in why we would want to be fearless. And I think, honestly, the motivation is the key to why you should be fearless. Fearless for the sake of humanitarianism, fearless for the sake of social justice. Um, it doesn't mean that your fearlessness can be backed with revenge or a vengeance or bitterness or resentment. I remember one very successful friend once saying, well, success is the greatest revenge. And I can totally see how for most of her life, her fearlessness was pushed on by the revenge of success. But she may not have felt all that alive. And she would say this herself, I never felt that fully alive at the end of it, even though that was my mantra for a lot of my life. And so it really does pose the question of actually fearlessness is probably one of the most humble acts you can ever do. I know it's a hard thing to believe, but it actually creates your destiny. And in an age where we have 60,000 messages coming to us all day, every day, in an age where you have too many options, so you don't have to choose anything at all, in an age where you hide behind the social graces of the internet and the smartphone screen, people have forgotten how to just have a conversation. And so I think the reason why I'm getting so geared up about this fearlessness is I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to find really great leaders in the church who are truly fearless, but not legalistic and religious at the same time. I'm actually looking for the faith-filled ones who go really low, who fight really hard, for kindness, for compassion, for love, for truth, for joy, for peacefulness, for meekness, for gentleness. I think the saddest part is that if we're just doing this on our own willpower, if we're doing this just on, honestly, the sake of our own wild ambitions, then not that many people will actually benefit from it. You'll know when, when the motivation's right because other people will be gaining from the fruit from, from this. I mean, even just doing this podcast, quite honestly, is kind of scary for me. I don't like sitting on my own in a room. I'd much prefer to have conversations with other people. But I know that there is this nudge in me that if I don't do it, I will get not only just messages from you guys going, where's the next podcast? But also... I'm very aware that there is stuff burning in me right now that might be helpful. And so therefore the fruit 
has to be bigger than my own insecurities and my own fears. At the moment, I'm in definitely a season where I want to hide away. And it's, the, it's, it's not a hiding season. I know it's not a hiding season. Um, I'm just very aware that that's where I'm at. I want to hide for a bit because everything is becoming, ooh, I'm going to cry. Everything's becoming so much more bigger than me. And that takes a lot of courage to hand over a lot of stuff to the Lord. The responsibilities of success, the responsibilities of favor are becoming very, very real. And the shy little Carrie that uh, used to hide behind the leg of her dad when she was a kid can't do that anymore. And I'm being asked to speak at conferences and I'm asked to travel and I'm, I'm asked to do these things that I'm, I feel so honored to do. And yet, as I'm driving there or flying there, I have this little part of me that goes, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> and at the same breath, it goes, I'm, I'm trying to be a daughter. And with that comes a lot of frightening opportunities. But then you speak and you do your thing and you make sure that you make much more space than just your voice to show up. Obviously, otherwise it's a vain reason to be fearless. And so the risks really need to be much bigger than yourself so that you know the Lord's actually in it. But you will not be able to build a muscle to be fearless if you're never giving more room than just yourself to show up. I started to recognize that if I brought my very weaknesses into the room instead of my strengths, the Lord showed up. I'm not kidding you. Being vulnerable for me is one of the most attractive things on men and women today because We've had generations before that can't do that. Or they'll use boundaries as a reason as to why they can't be vulnerable in a season that they haven't seen the victory or the breakthrough yet. But I saw in the Gospels and in the Bible moments where people have been very honest about themselves, very honest about their brokenness, and the Lord showed up. Paul stands in front of King Agrippa and tells King Agrippa about his former life, his old man, pretty boldly, pretty courageously, but with no shame. That to me is a fearless guy, that he wasn't just aware of his old past, but he actually could talk about it as if it was a different person because he was standing in such a boldness of who he is today. You see, being fearless is actually part of taking on the new man. This old man that we've been told has gone, has died, we still partner with because it means that we can be more fearful. It means we can hide behind things. It means we can excuse our behavior. I'm not suggesting we need to be perfect. In fact, perfectionism in itself is a whole load of other fearful activity. Perfectionism means you don't have to take a risk with anyone or anything. And yet I am so inspired now. And one of the reasons why I came back to the church was that I was actually starting to meet people that were honest about their own frailties, that boldly spoke about how the Lord was romancing them during their frailties. I saw people who could have confrontational conversations, not with anger or aggressiveness, but real questions. And I saw people being able to respond to a confrontation without silence or pushing someone away, but actually being willing to answer those questions that this confrontation was bringing. It wasn't 
motivated by entitlement. It was motivated by honour, by reverence to the truth of the Lord. And so, I mean, gosh, the reasons why we're scared of being fearless is because oftentimes it's for reasons that are to do with our pride. We're, fe- we're fearful that we will fail. We're, we're fearful that we'll succeed and be a nightmare. <laughs> we're worried that um, we won't be able to handle it. We're worried about the, the stewardship of doing well. We're worried about rejection, abandonment. We're worried about um, looking like a fool. I had a friend that did an audition and instead of going after finishing the audition, instead of leaving through the main exit, she walked into a cupboard and then had to exit the cupboard again whilst a panel of people were watching her leave the room awkward and red as a cabbage. Red cabbage, obviously. So there's that. But... If, if your identity is rooted in something much more than your own willpower and your own dreams, if your identity is rooted absolutely in a much more omnipotent power that is so breathtaking when we are on the precipice of literally jumping off a cliff, I can't tell you how terrifying it is to start doing it for the first few times. But when you've been caught over and over and over again, I'm not joking you, every time that I've been fearless in a situation, when I know it's the Lord on it, when I've had the discernment to know it's the Lord on it, even if it's painful on however it occurred, however it turned out, I've learned and gained something in my character. I've learned something of the Lord. I've got closer to him every single time to a point where you get addicted to this stuff. Now, now I can't really go for a week or maybe even two days without doing something really frightening. I have to <laughs> because I love watching him show up. And we've forgotten that in our greatest pain can come our greatest joy because we are no longer frightened of pain, so we're no longer frightened of any feeling. And it's within the guttural ability of facing pain that you will actually find the most euphoric feeling and joy because you're no longer numbing yourself to anything. And I don't just mean substances or addictions, I'm talking very normal everyday habits, truly. I spoke about Winston Churchill earlier But what I like is how he talks about courage, not just in war, but in writing. And having gone through a season of writing a book when the first two were very, very different, this whole new book had been kind of pushed and nudged by spiritual fathers and by all my friends who believe in my writing They've pushed me to write and write the very topic that I just keep on being obsessed about for the last two years. And how many times I've almost stopped or almost not done it because of my own fear is insane, especially when you've already gone through the process of writing a book, especially if it did well or didn't do well. And I've had both. (laughs) So, so... He did say this, Winston Churchill once said this. This was speaking in London on November the 2nd, 1949. He said, writing a book is an adventure. To begin with it is a toy 
and an amusement. Then it becomes a mistress. Then it becomes a master. Then it becomes a tyrant. The last phase is that just as you are about to be reconciled to your servitude, you kill the monster and fling him about to the public. You see, what's interesting to me is the story of King David and slaying Goliath would not be half of, as palpable if it had been to a tough warrior. It was much more convincing and more fascinating because it was a young boy with a catapult, with a slingshot. And it's in the fragility of our own humanity and allowing our hands to be open to allow the Lord to show up in the mightiest of ways that other people get to watch and go, well, that was clearly the Lord because this isn't making any sense. That's the beauty of healing. It's the beauty of the prophetic being so terrifying to try and be so precise and prophetic, but at the same time, There is a depth that starts happening in the ability to face fear and pain. You actually start understanding the depths of humanity so much more because you've chosen to go there yourself. But you can't lead, you can't pastor, you can't be a friend if you haven't ever allowed yourself to experience fear or pain or any of the things that are constantly showing up in the Bible. I don't understand I was having this conversation with my friend Teresa Archer the other day. She was like, the Bible's so honest. When did we stop being so honest? And I thought, well, it's a fantastic point. I didn't even think of that, Teresa. But we are in this moment of like, gosh, I think there's a part of us that just wants to dim it down, wants to just turn down the dimmer switch to a nicer lighting. You know, we don't want it to be so stark because that will show something up in ourselves. And when I watch people trying to perform their way through life, just you watch it when other people come and master them. They won't be able to handle it. They can't handle that kind of honesty because they can't handle their own honesty to themselves. They've been living behind a mask all this time. So my, my answer to you in all of this is take the audition, start recording the album and make sure you finish it. Ask the girl on a date. Love isn't cautious until there's a reason to be. And even then it finds compassion. Have that confrontation. Find the strengths that answer their questions, even if it is uncomfortable for you. Don't avoid. Don't wait till the weight loss. Don't wait until the world is safe, because you'll be waiting forever. Fight the battle. Choose truth over comfort. Stay the course, especially when it's volatile. Don't rest on the talents of someone else. Find your own because everyone has a talent. And if you think you're not talented, you just haven't found it yet. Take the mic when you're the most insecure, because you're more likely to make more room for the Lord in your vulnerability than you are when you're feeling super confident. Make space by your actions so he can turn up. And don't wait for perfectionism or perfection, for you will never come alive. You will never come alive. You'll constantly be on tenterhooks as to when you're gonna get it wrong. Know that it is a risk that creates, it is risk that creates depth and courage that helps you face pain. It is love and the choice to love that builds faith. It is letting there be space for him to show up that builds a level of unreasonable courage that you find in the King David, in Daniel, in Joseph, in Gideon. It is his love for you that will help you face not just your pain, but other people's pain. Make friends with the bold. 
and you will see how timid you were, but how timid you will be for not much longer. Because that kind of stuff, that kind of unreasonable courage is so infectious. It doesn't just inspire you, it will transform you. Especially if you make sure that they keep you accountable to not hiding behind or dimmering down or being in denial. The greatest of your friends will truly believe in what you carry, the anointing of what you hold. And for me, I think of the likes of my friend Kim Johnson, who has a safe house in Cambodia, and she's told me of stories of where she's had to put furniture up against her bedroom door in a hotel because she was not sure who was going to try and um, barrage the room that night whilst she's trying to rescue girls from sex trafficking. I have some of the most fearless women in my life that I've ever, ever met, and it's a privilege to know them. And it's not just breathtaking taking stories that you have around the dinner table. And I've probably got, I think I've got three separate women all who run anti-sex trafficking organisations. And all of them have astonishing stories that will make your knees shake and make you break into sweats just because it's just so intense. But at the same time, it makes you want to do exactly the same because you can feel the presence of the Lord when they're sharing these stories about the rescues, about how they got these girls to become their own freedom fighters and inspiring other women to be rescued. And not only that, hearing stories of sex dens becoming churches, of um, some of the wildest testimonies are often by the most fearless choices. There are thousands of scriptures that I'm sure come into your mind. And I would just ask you again to look back at the Daniels, the Josephs, the Gideons, the King Davids, that even if they make it, get it wrong, even if they look undignified for a moment, they're the ones you write about. They're the ones we feed off. They're the ones we long for in our own courage. But one last point is this, and I really felt this pretty strongly, um, to hope is one of the greatest postures to have in a brave heart. I kept busy for a long time just so I wouldn't have hope for the things that haven't occurred in my life yet. I kept overly cautious. I used a thousand red flags for everyone that was coming closer to me. And there was a fear in myself, a perfectionism in myself, quite honestly, that made me lose out or miss out on the goodness of his kindness towards me. And sometimes we can sit there in the prayer closet and go, why didn't this show up for me, Lord? Why didn't this happen for me? When only to discover we were the very ones that weren't putting ourselves out there on a riskier level, that weren't hoping enough, that weren't initiating enough, because we were expecting the Lord just to show it up on our lap. But our Lord's too kind to do that because that would weaken our character. It wouldn't 
build us in a way that can cope with the much more favor that the Lord wants to put on our lives. And so if anyone out there is struggling with a sense of hope, when they've had too many things, too many experiences of bad case scenarios happening to them, that they want to hide, that they feel like isolation is actually a a safer bet, a kinder bet to the heart, that they're using Proverbs 4.23 in the hope to just hide. (laughs) Sweetheart, the greatest thing for you to guard your heart is to make sure it still has hope. And I don't mean in other people, but in our Lord. And if if you can bring back hope when you've gone through disappointment, when you've gone through death or loss or grief of any kind, then you're the bravest person anyone in your life may ever know. You can go on roller coasters, you can preach to a thousand people, but if you can't have close, intimate relationships in a healthy, honourable stance, if you can't do true guttural conversations with people when they're in their uttermost pain, if you are putting a pretty pessimistic viewpoint on the world just so then your hope has to be lower, come back to me in about a year's time and tell me how alive you actually feel. Because honestly, there's a whole world out there that's waiting for you if you just pick up the phone or get outdoors, or get in the car, (laughs) or initiate the dinner for your friends to come round, or take up that night class, or learn something new, or finally go on that date that you've been terrified to ask. Whatever it looks like, the more you do it, the more you'll want to do it. And the more you'll want to do it, the more you'll transform. And I know all of us at some point are wanting our most ultra, 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 that's not even a word, but I'm okay with that because I'm not looking for perfectionism. I'm looking for fearlessness. (laughs) Oh, you get my point. You with me, right? Good. Great. You got it. Okay. Until next time. Do something that terrifies you every day. But just do it with a little hint of wisdom, a little nudge from the Holy Spirit, and a little skip in your step. Because, darling, even if you fall flat on your face, at least you tried. <laughs>